You're listening to an American Theatre podcast. American Theatre is a publication of Theatre Communications Group. www.americantheatre.org Good afternoon and welcome to Offscript American Theatre's live chat and podcast on all things theatrical. Uh, it's February 25th, 2022. Can't believe it's that far along in the year already. I'm Rob Weiner-Kent, I'm the Editor-in-Chief, uh, my pronouns are he, him, and I'm coming to you actually from our TCG offices, uh, uh, the land of the Lenape people uh, in Manhattan. Uh, what's behind me is not that. Behind me is the Alley Theater, because today our guest is Chisa Hutchinson, whose play American is up at the Alley Theater right now. I'm really, really excited to talk, uh, to talk to her, but I'm also really excited to introduce you our listeners, uh, to our newest team member. Take it away, Allie. Hello, listeners. Happy to be here. My name is Allie Pearson, and I'm the new associate editor here at American Theater. Um, I'm an NYU grad and also a grad of the Columbia Publishing course, and I've been a lifelong theater fanatic, and it's great to be here today. I'm calling in from Queens, the land of the Matinecock people, and my pronouns are she, her. Awesome. It's good to have you on board, Allie. Uh, hitting the ground running here with lots to cover uh, as the theater seems to be coming back again, again. <laughs> we had, we've covered a bunch of returns uh, last summer. There was a bit of a flurry last fall. And then again, it seems like finally, uh, you know, there's a return to you know, I, there's been no shortage of things to write about. Let's just say from our end, it looks like theaters are For sure. surging back and April is going to be a crazy month in New York. And it's already a crazy month, crazy month and, and year all over the country. Um, we've been writing about some of these things. Uh, I'll just t touch on some of the stories we've written in the past, uh, uh, since our last podcast, the past few weeks. Um, one is a piece that came to us from two, two leaders at the Hedge Pig Theater Ensemble in New York who have taken upon themselves to answer the question, where are all the plays by women that are older than 19, you know, 60 or whatever? Uh, uh, we have a list uh, from a 2015 issue you can look up uh, called The Other Canon, uh, which is which lists a lot of these plays, but the, their project is called Expand the Canon. You can look at, read about it through their, through their website. Um, and that, uh, that um, it, it gives you more detail about the plays. Um, and these are classic plays by, by, by writers from all over the world. And the point of their piece is that what, one way to expand the canon of classics beyond the typical white European men is to go beyond English language plays to plays, plays in French, plays in Chinese, uh, uh, African plays. Um, anyway, they're advocating uh, for making translators and grants for translators uh, part of this process of expanding the canon. And so it's it's a piece of advocacy. It's, it's good. It's definitely worth reading. Another editorial we ran uh, was by Edward Einhorn, who's an independent director and runs the, the New York-based company, Untitled Theater Company Number 61. Um, and he wrote about rather thorny and relevant currently relevant issue of uh, casting Jewish actors in Jewish roles, which sounds like an uncontroversial thing. And yet 
Um, it, it, it's, it, it's, a, it's a delicate issue. I urge you to read the piece. Um, it was spurred in part by the current production of Theater for New Audience of Merchant of Venice, in which uh, John Douglas Thompson plays Shylock. And I think Edward is, among, Edward is among those, uh, including Alexis Solowski in her Times Review, who question, can you really make an equivalence between anti-black racism and anti-Semitism? It's a huge issue, and I'm not going to go into all my thoughts on it, but Edward's piece is definitely worth reading. Um, and he also is someone, if you read the whole piece, who's not dogmatic about these these issues. He doesn't always cast Jewish actors in Jewish roles, but he does feel like when a piece is about anti-Semitism or has anti-Semitic elements, or in his view is anti-Semitic, Merchant of Venice, Jewish representation should be thought of and considered. So in any case, um, an interesting thorny piece that came out actually around the same day as Jason Zinneman's wonderful piece for the Times, which was a bit about this moment of rise in hate crimes and what does it mean uh, to laugh at anti-Semitism uh, uh, as, as a Jewish writer and Jewish person. Um, so let's see, we also did some profiles that were fun. Uh, Allie, why don't you tell us about those? Yeah, of course. Uh, this week we got to do, uh, our writer Francisco Mendoza did a wonderful profile of C. Julian Jimenez, uh, the playwright, and his new work, Bruise and Thorn, and his work with the Pipeline Theater Company. Uh, all very exciting things, and it very much explores kind of his own gender identity journey, and uh, it's a very exciting read. And then there is a very fun story by our writer Trevor exploring the Mooney Legally Blonde dance call that has gone viral on the TikTok app. Uh, many people decided to join in on the fun and learn the choreography. And it's a lot of fun to watch and listen to. So that's a, another great one to check out. Cool. Yeah. And then there was, a, a, as there always is, it seems a turnover in the field. Uh, some exciting new leaders uh, at, at theaters all around, around the country. Um, Loretta Greco, long time at the Magic Theater. She actually was at the Magic Theater when the pandemic started. She was, but it was announcing her departure. I believe April, 2020, we had a, a profile of her. She just got the job at the Huntington Theater in Boston. She's the new artistic director there. So I talked to her from sunny California uh, via Zoom, but she's gonna take a resident, residence in Boston. Uh, and then um, I think also her, her daughter's 21, so she's, she's ready to, to, to move um, from the Bay Area. And Mark Valdez, who I know from way back, uh, uh, Cornerstone in LA days, um, wonderful director, uh, is the new artistic director of Mixed Blood. He's taking over for Jack Ruler, who's the founder, I didn't realize how long ago, in 1976 he founded Mixed Blood Theater. Um, so that's a, we're going to have, I think we're, I can tease this, we're going to have them on and off script in April, the two uh, outgoing and incoming artist directors to talk about mixed blood and the, the passing of the torch there. Uh, and also Kira or Kyra, I think it's probably Kira, I'm not sure. Kira Sims is uh, the new co-artistic director at the New York Neo-Futurists. Um, she will be the co-artistic director alongside Rob O'Neill. So we announced that as well. Uh, in a plug for our other, other podcasts, um, speaking of artistic directors who are outgoing, our last off script uh, with Jim Nicola or Nicola uh, is, a, is, is, a, is a wonderful listen, if I may say so myself. It was he was really forthcoming and fascinating. I urge checking it, checking that podcast out. 
And our subtext podcast interviewed the playwright uh, Kari Bentley Quinn. Um, Brian, I think, made some trips to New York. Brian Polak, who, who does that podcast, and he's based in Madison, Wisconsin, but he did a trip, some travels, I believe, to New York, and he recorded that last June uh, in this very lively conversation. It takes place at a place in, I believe, Astoria, where at the actual bar they recorded it. So we can't say we're at a bar now, but we're, we'll try to keep a, 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 a fun conversational vibe here on our podcast as well. But that's definitely worth listening to. Kari Bentley Quinn, playwright talks about her work and her background. Um, that seems as good a segue as I need to talk to our playwright today. We're so happy to have Chisa Hutchinson with us um, to talk about American. Uh, I wonder if, do we need to pronounce it that way, American, to, to stress the spelling? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I've been saying American. American, <laughs> people right. People look at me like, what's your problem? <laughs> like, why are you saying <laughs> that way? Um, but yeah. Yeah. So it's so good to have you on, and it's it's also good to, that your play got up on the stage finally. I know it was it was initially scheduled um, for the the 2019-2020 season at the Alley. Is that correct? Yes. Yeah. Um, it had a reading at the Alley All New Festival in 2018. I want to say, um, and right after that, um, Rob Melrose, whom I adore. Um, comes up to me and he's like, okay, we're going to do this play. And I was like, yes. He's like, we're going to do it next season. And I was like, yes. And then, <laughs> the pandemic, and the pandemic. then we all know what happened. Um, so 2020 was a no-go. Um, and then they were like, all right, 2021. <laughs> and also a no-go. Um, so yeah, it is pretty, it's pretty miraculous that it's, that it's actually um, mid run right now, which is um, which is crazy. The, the so was was, was this like what was that like to have the play sort of like Lucy with the football, like it's there and it's snatched away and there and it's, it's I know the alley didn't know malice intended, but there was just like you, they couldn't oh, do yeah. it. Yeah. Well, that's the thing is, I mean, you know, shit happens, right? Or it doesn't. <laughs> right, it doesn't <laughs> happen. Working in this industry, particularly being a writer in this industry, makes you a very patient person. <laughs> um, you grow, you grow quite accustomed to waiting. Um, so it didn't really, it didn't really bother me so much. You know, it's just the reality that we're dealing with. And um, yeah, in the meantime, I just kept kept busy writing more stuff, and you know, doing a lot of audio plays, uh, TV stuff because the rooms are all you know virtual now um so yeah i've been keeping busy i'm not <laughs> i'm not um i'm not too stressed but i i do i do have to say that it's um nothing beats live theater man like nothing nothing beats it and this is your first time back with live theater right since the pandemic it is. yeah it's my first live oh. play since 2019 which is time is so time is so weird right now. Um, well, speaking of time, uh, you said you wrote you had it read in 2018. So obviously this was written before January 6th, probably after Charlottesville. Is that right? I mean, can you talk a little bit about the inspiration? Uh, you could. We haven't really told the audience what it's about. I mean, it it's about a little bit about racism, white supremacy, literally about white supremacist characters uh, in in Maryland. But um, can you talk a little about the inspiration for it, and then, you know. How it, how it seems like it was in a way prescient uh, 
to where we're at now, but it was obviously relevant even in, when it was first written. Yeah, that's the thing is this, I mean, white supremacy is sort of an evergreen topic, isn't it? You know, like we're not really, we're not really moving past it. Um, so here we are, um, you know, doing this play about uh, this white guy, Jeff, who decides that um, because he's a new dad and he wants to plug into the community and like, you know, wrangle some advantages for his kid, he's going to join this this group, the World Knights, which is basically like a, a little spinoff of the of the Ku Klux Klan. Um, it's an actual group that actually <laughs> exists. Uh, they had they had a rally in 2013. Not very many people, but it's a tiny, tiny dot of a town, Sharpsburg, Maryland, um, which I have to drive through if I want to get to the Contemporary American Theater Festival in, in Shepherdstown, West Virginia, which, you know, I'll be this, I'll, it'll be my third time working there this summer. Uh, so I'm, I get to do that drive again. <laughs> Exciting. And the thing that strikes me about the drive, uh, I never see any people, I never see any actual human beings out there, but I can guess, and apparently pretty closely, I've heard from folks who've grown up around there, which include our costume designer, which was extraordinarily lucky. That was so serendipitous that we actually had a native um, from that area in um, on our team. But um, yeah, I can I can I can guess pretty pretty closely um, what what types of folks might live there based on uh, you know the Confederate flags hanging from awnings and from the Trump signs that were sprouting out of the lawns and uh, like the bumper stickers on the pickup trucks with the, you know, with the symbols <laughs> that I'm, I'm pretty sure are, you know, indicative of some affiliation with some white supremacist something or other. So yeah, I mean, I, I just, I hate that, I hate, hating and fearing something that I don't see. Um, I don't like that feeling. So I wrote this play as a way to sort of exercise that, <laughs> as, a, as a way to, um, to try to understand like what, what the chief concerns of, of the folks who live around there might be. Um, yeah. Was it, so yeah, I, I don't think it's a spoiler to say that at, at some point it does cover these, this, these folks in this white community, and then there's a, a black journalist and his daughter, who end up, you know, um, doing a project which I imagine is a little bit like what you, trying to do, like an a, a journey of empathy. I think one of the reviews basically said that the question the play asks is, should we sympathize with hateful people? I think it might, that might be a little simplistic, but I do think, can you talk about the process of going into that world and either researching it or living around those people? Because you, I will say on the page there, you, you humanize them without um, whitewashing, that's an appropriate word, I suppose, without, without, you know, sanitizing their views and you make them pretty lively and vivid and funny, interesting people. Um, and I just wonder if that process was ever like, you just had to shake it off sometimes because it was a lot to hang out with these people who, you know, the lead character names his dog with the N-word just as a, as a joke, apparently. So anyway, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about that. 
Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> yeah, research for, for a piece like this is, is difficult for somebody like me who looks like me, right? I'm not going to drive to Sharpsburg and go knocking on people's <laughs> you know? I'm like, look, I'm not, I'm not trying to get shot. So um, yeah, I, I did mostly a lot of, you know, online research and, um, and just, just when I was starting to think, oh, are you prejudging these folks? You know, they seem pretty cool. They, you know, their family values, they're fun. They're, you know, they like to hunt. They have their, you know, they come by it honestly, whatever it is, right? So maybe you're, you're just being super judgmental. And then um, when I was trying to figure out whether folks in Maryland said soda or pop, like just a completely a name, you know, just like a kind of a throwaway detail, not a throwaway detail, it's very important. All the details are important. But like the soda versus pop thing is like, you know, uh, it was pretty serious. So I was like, all right, let me get this right. And I was doing research and I found this survey online um, of a few hundred responses to, you know, what do you say, pop or soda, right? And there were all these different responses, um, you know, 300 and something, something responses. And then uh, among those, there were not one, but two um, who responded, kill all blacks. And I was just like, what do you, what? <laughs> like, you yeah. know, in a survey about carbonated beverages, you're gonna like, <laughs> like plug your white supremacist agenda, right? And I was just, I, you know, your anti-black agenda, and I, ah, and it was just such a, a little, like a little microcosmic, you know, experience of, of like what it is to be black in this country. It's just like you're going about your day, you know, living your life, just trying to you know get along and some racist shit happens you know or you like you encounter some you know somebody throws a freaking supremacist grenade <laughs> in your yeah. direction and you're just like oh shit what am i supposed to do with that um yeah so that the research was was um was enlightening um <laughs> Um, and as far as the, the the humanizing part, yeah, I mean, it's that was absolutely. I mean, the first scene. I'm, I don't think I'm giving anything away, y'all. Like the first scene is um, the main character, Jeff, um, is addressing his newborn son. You know, because I honestly cannot imagine any more humanizing situation than like a new parent sitting in their new parentness. You know. Um, and I do, I do have like such a soft spot for new dads and for guys who are like really excited to be dads. And so, um, so I decided, all right, I'm going to drop this guy into that situation and see where that takes me as far as, um, you know, understanding his, you know, how he could get swept up in, um, you know, in this racial brouhaha, right, of how someone like that could, um, could be lured or um, why the, the white supremacist culture might appeal to someone like that. Right, right. Um, and that was really important. I didn't want to villainize him, you know, vilify. I didn't want to, um, 
yeah, I didn't want to say I didn't want to turn him into a mustache twirling villain because like <laughs> nobody's going to take that play seriously. Right. It's just like, if I'm just like beating you over the head and like sticking these one dimensional characters in your face, you're you know, yawn and then you leave the theater and you go, you know, home and watch Netflix and forget. <laughs> <laughs> Right. No, you want to. I, I think you want to be moved as well as you know horrified by this play. I think uh, is what I was what I got from it. You know, and 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 made to think about it so that it wasn't just like that was unpleasant or or that was <laughs> that was easy to figure out what was happening because you know I think that our sympathies get pulled in a lot of directions in this play in unexpected directions, um, which uh, I think is makes it fascinating. Um, Ali, I think you had a question specifically about. Um, yeah. yeah, I I was really struck in this play and, and in life in general how a lot of these, you know, white supremacist groups, a lot of their ideology goes hand in hand with sexism and misogyny and domestic uh, abuse. And um, I was just fascinated with the play's themes of pregnancy, postpartum, and questions about reproductive health and the female body. And I was hoping you might be able to elaborate on that a little bit. Yeah, my my hunch is that you know supremacy requires a, 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 like a, a conspicuous lack of empathy or um, just a complete um, absence of concern for anyone else. <laughs> <laughs> or, or you know, just an ability, an inability to really, um, to to really sympathize or muster up any sort of compassion for anyone who doesn't look like you, who doesn't present like you, right? Like I think that that, um, I think that that's about par for the course. And you know, I don't, not to generalize. <laughs> Here we go. Now I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna preface it with a not all white. <laughs> Right, but um, but certainly a lot have never really had to think about what it's like to be anyone else, right? Because whatever, like they're they're at the the top of the heap. There, you know, it's it's not a thing. It's not a thing that they have to concern themselves with. Um, and I think that women fall into that category of like other, <laughs> like you know, oh, they've got different bits and parts and pieces and you know hormonal whatever's right so we don't we don't really understand them and we don't really have to um <laughs> and that's that's basically the end of that so there is a lot of you know dismissing of women women troubles right like there's <laughs> a lot of um yeah, sort of diminishing the the, the significance of um, feminine issues. Um, yeah, I was literally just talking to my husband about like um, what it was like to be dismissed by four different male doctors. Um, I was having, so I have multiple sclerosis and um, 
you know, I was having these symptoms, I would describe them. And I even told them, I said, you know, my, actually, my mother has MS. And, you know, and they're like, oh, no, no, it's just, you know, probably your high heel shoes that you wear, or like, <laughs> you know, I mean, they were thinking of like every excuse for why it couldn't possibly be anything serious. And it wasn't until I saw a woman doctor, I, you know, I said, hey, so I'm having these symptoms. And she was like, oh, you need to see a neurologist, <laughs> like immediately, like right away. Um, and I don't know, I don't know what that is. Like, what is that, that like makes some, some dudes like just totally incapable of accepting a woman's, you know, grievances as legitimate, right? Or not dismissing them. It's, it's, it's infuriating. <laughs> and it's, it's why most of my doctors are women. <laughs> Definitely. Um, yeah, fair um, I wondered about, uh, you know, um, one thing that seemed to come through for me, I, I know you have work of Heather McGee, who's written about the way racism holds everyone back, you know, not equally by any means, but the way that, and I did strike me that one of the tragedies of, of Jeff's position is, you know, he, he thinks this is for his own good and giving him an advantage, but like, it's, it's not ultimately partly because of what you know the stuff that goes down in the play and because his own sort of half believed half understood ideology comes back on him right crashes down on him right um no spoilers but you know <laughs> that's one of the <laughs> main things of the play but i wonder did, did did you did you did you feel like um the play is ultimately hopeful about whether person like Jeff or whether the race is, you know, I think Gerald is a hopeful figure in many ways, even though he has his own realization. But um, Gerald, the black journalist who feels that we need to listen to other people and talk to them. You know, this is a common uh, liberal idea that we just like, if we just talk to them, understand them, we'll, you know, we'll, we'll, we can all get along, we can all understand each other and there'll be no, no more conflict. It seems like, I'm not sure if that's the right answer. But. <laughs> Is it the right answer? <laughs> I'm not either. Frankly, I don't know. I think some, I, I'm not going to lie. I'm in a very pessimistic place right now. <laughs> like, I'm just, um, I think I have um, better things, I think, to spend my energy on um, than trying to convince folks that actually you're kind of missing out. You're missing out because you are um literally you're cutting yourself off from an entire segment of the human population right that you don't know what <laughs> what kinds of the there's a character um Jeff's best friend right um Poot <laughs> um so Poot you know he's a bit of a playboy um and he in the midst of a conversation with Jeff um he says, actually, you know, I dated a black girl once, right? And he goes on about this black girl that he dated. And, um, you know, you can just tell from the way he talks about her that like, he really liked her. And that that actually might have been something like it could have been something if he wasn't from where he's from, right? Um, and that's just so sad, right? It's like, oh, you just you're cutting yourself off from, oh, from awesomeness, right? Like, we're awesome, black people, I love us, right? Like, <laughs> black people are awesome. 
<laughs> I like, um, I just, I think to, to like times when um, I remember having a, a, a couple of phone interviews, nailing a few phone interviews for a teaching job. And then I went in for the in-person interview and literally the woman who was greeting me, she went, oh. <laughs> Really? Like, I was like, ah, oh, shit, I'm not getting this job, right? But there's, I, and I used to think of it as like, oh man, I lost out on that job. But now I'm like, no employer, like you actually lost out on me. Like you lost out on a, on a really, a really awesome employee who would have worked really hard and, um, you know, who would have been loyal and invested in your organization right like it just it yeah it's it's just it's so unnecessarily limiting right yeah um yeah totally i i did love uh just to nerd out a bit for a second theater nerd <laughs> theater nerd thing where poot was talking about the woman he met the black woman he met it was obviously at the Contemporary American Theater Festival. He's talking about going to Shepherdstown to see a play. It's like, I know where that is. Well, because the theater <laughs> is probably, I mean, the arts in general, like those art spaces are kind of the only, that's like the only place someone like Poot would even meet someone like her. You know what I mean? Like theater, I mean, it's got its flaws as far as like accessibility, right? Um, <laughs> But you know, for theoretically, everyone is welcome, right? Like everyone is welcome, and and different kinds of people show up in those spaces, and you know, you you stand in line with them at intermission, and you strike up a conversation, and or you go out after with you know your friend who was in the cast because they're celebrating, and you meet the other people who are in the play, and they're you know, and it's you. You rub elbows with with um, with folks from different communities and um, you know folks of different backgrounds and it's it's kind of a beautiful thing and you um, yeah it's just the arts is just one of those it's one of those spaces you know um, where it's it's safe to be different from those around you right. right, um, right. Yeah. I want to ask more about that in a second, but I, I wanted to ask, because you mentioned audiences, um, you're from New Jersey, this play is set in Maryland, but this, but it's being produced in Texas. I kept, th I kept <laughs> yeah. thinking of Texas, of Texas when I was reading it, and Texas, of course, in the news now, but all the time, Texas, um, with all the good and bad things about it. Could you tell me about how it's, how it's gone over there, like what you, how you feel as a, a te te Texas, Texas artist working on it too, right? Tex uh, yes so yeah all local folks oh they're so good they're so damn good and um yeah entirely entirely uh local cast and a local director um so people who are like really plugged into the houston community um and who are respected right and, you know um so i i feel a little bit like i got to um like i got to cheat <laughs> <laughs> a little bit because it's like oh here these beloved people right are involved in this play that happens to be about birth supremacy right like it's, <laughs> so it's like tell your racist uncle to come see the show <laughs> right uh, racist uncle uncle ned or whatever tell that guy to come see the show um and 
And I think that they they do. I hope they will, right? And I don't think, of course, like nobody is like, I'm a racist. Yeah. Oh, you know, like there's there's none of that. But what I really hope is that even for the folks who think like, well, I'm not racist, I don't see color, right? Which is like my favorite, not favorite <laughs> thing today. Let's just go ahead and erase those differences. Um, yeah, even the folks who like don't really consider themselves actively racist, like I hope that they they come and maybe sort of quietly go, Ooh, have I engaged in such behavior before? <laughs> have I had a similar exchange with anyone? Have I done that? You know, just like little, because there's like the like super, you know, the, the KKK card carrying, you know, <laughs> guy from the backwoods of whatever podunk country down right there's like that extreme and then there's the like super liberal progressive you know i you know my my wife is black you know whatever right whatever it is um voted for obama folks, right right I, yeah i both times right like, <laughs> right, right. like I, I i just want everyone to feel like um first of all, to feel um, okay if they relate to Jeff in some way, right? Because he's, he's a freaking human being, right? And he's like, just trying to be a good dad. And like, everybody can relate to that, right? Like that's, or at least everyone can recognize that as a, um, an admirable thing. Yeah. So I, I want people to be able to relate to him. I want people to be able to recognize a little bit of themselves in him, even if it's just some little thing right it's because everybody falls somewhere on that spectrum right between the like the rednecky whatever guy right who drops the n-word every three seconds and right, right, you know right. the i voted for obama twice guy right there's we we all fall somewhere um in between so it's okay and you don't have to feel indicted you know <laughs> It's just a play, right? You don't have to feel <laughs> indicted. You don't have to feel guilty if you just recognize some of, you know, some of their behaviors in, in your own. Right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, plays are a safe place to go, as you alluded to before about the arts, a safe place to go there and to, and to, to, to see those things. Speaking of plays, I think, Ali, you had a question about- Yeah. I would love to jump in and talk a little bit about your creative process, if you don't mind. Uh, you're someone who works in a variety of forms and with different subjects. You've worked with the neo-futurists and the Blue Man Group, and you've done film and TV and all kinds of things. Um, how do you know what form or what medium a story is going to take when you have like an idea or you're starting to feel that spark? How do you know where it's going to go? I think it just... I really, do. I mean, the idea will tell you. <laughs> I don't know, that sounds like such a cop-out answer, but like, I really think that there are just some ideas that come at you as a play. It's like, no, this can only be live. It's a highly theatrical, I got, I got weird images happening in my head and I see it in a, this like abstracty black space, right? And then some ideas are just a little more cinematic or, a little, you know, it just, um, I think that if if something is, if I have an idea that feels like it wants to be 
very literal and realistic, right? That's probably gonna be film, <laughs> right? Um, if I've got something that's a little like, oh, <laughs> you know, a little, a little off kilter or like that maybe does not um, present in a linear fashion or that maybe yep. doesn't, um, you know, that, that has some direct address in it or, you know, some weird spectacle thing or, you know, I want food to be served during the, you know, like then that's gotta <laughs> be theater, right? That's mm -hmm. gotta be, that's gotta be in the live theater space. Um, audio has been a little, it has been an interesting challenge for someone like me. I keep getting these audio commissions and I'm like, I'm so not someone who can process orally. Like I have, I have difficulty just hearing something and like, you know, absorbing it. Like I really need to, I'm a visual person, a tactile person, a, you know, experiential, you know, I like, that's why I like theater, right? <laughs> um, so audio was a particular challenge because um, yeah, like how do you get someone even someone like me to like really pay attention to what's <laughs> happening. So that that was the challenge of that is like, okay, well, what would keep me interested if I were listening <laughs> to this? Um, let's see, what else? Yeah, I mean, I'm, sorry, I, I always love to ask writers about their fun writing habits or routines. You know, are you someone who only writes in the morning or in the evening or like, where do you find your creative energy, I guess? I'm, do write better in the morning. You know, I wake up because I've just been pro like processing and dreaming and whatever all night. And then I wake up mm -hmm. sometimes at five in the morning, which is annoying, right? Because I'm like, no, come on. Like, I just want to go. And I feel like I'm being dragged out of bed, like by the idea. Right? <laughs> and I'm like, okay, let me get this down. I don't want to forget it. Um, so I do, I do write better in the mornings. Um, I get my best ideas in the shower. I don't know why. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least like the, the most vivid ideas in the shower I mean, just the water I think it just like stimulates me or I don't know um what else I write I'm in my office right now but I, I don't write here I write in bed mostly <laughs> um usually surrounded by snacks <laughs> snacks are a highly important part of my process um so yeah, go-tos include um, Pirate's Booty, um, Milano Cookies, um, Goldfish, <laughs> Lay's Potato Chips, um, the occasional Welch's, Welch's Fruit Snack. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, so all, great. All very important. <laughs> yeah, you get it. <laughs> some product endorsements here on, on the on the podcast uh <laughs> oh. i, I wonder, do you do you um uh i want to about the rewrite of writing process rewriting process tell me about um in in rehearsal how, how much i mean i i'm so intrigued by some of the stuff in your bios the one that the ones that ali mentioned neo-futurists and blue man group i'd love to know what you what write what writing for the blue man group actually entailed but specifically you know working I understand working in your in your own space on your on your on your drafts, but then how often you come in with a draft and then you, it just changes on its feet because of you know in the space. Um, I've had there are not very many plays. Oh crap! I don't even know how many plays I've written. Twenty some, twenty seven, maybe at this point, full length plays. I don't even know how many short plays, but like twenty seven full length plays and. Um, I really only remember 
two of those plays and they were really pretty early on. Um, two of those plays of just draft after draft after draft after draft and like not being able to, you know, just never feeling quite settled. And it's so interesting because those, those are, yes, those are the only two plays that have not had productions. They've had, they've been read to death, right? But like no production. One of them's turned into a film. <laughs> like one of them got made into a film. Um, which you can watch on Amazon Prime or iTunes <laughs> or um, I think cable providers still have What's it. What's it called? What's it called? Plug it's it. Called, um, the Subject um, and it stars Jason Biggs and Academy Award nominee Ingenue Ellis. Oh, um, nice. That makes me so happy to be nominated. Um, but yeah, so um, check that out. It's, it's actually pretty cool. I think ironically, I mean, to your point, Alex, of, of like, I guess sometimes an idea can lie to you about like which form it wants to take because the film seems to have taken off, you know, um, a lot, a, a lot faster than the than the play, which isn't saying much because it was still a long time in the making. But um, yeah, the um, I don't know the process. The, they come out for the most part, I mean, apart from those two plays that I mentioned, like the, they come out, the first draft comes out pretty whole, um, usually because I ruminate on it for a good long while before I ever sit down to start it. Um, so I'll go for weeks, months even without writing a single word of anything because I'm just out there like living life, you know, like seeing other people's plays and, you know, making mistakes and walking my dog and eating burritos and, you know, <laughs> just, you know, whatever, like just going to my doctor's appointment, whatever, like just teaching, whatever, living my life, right? And then one day after I've slept on it for <laughs> a long time, I sit down and I crank out a play in like a couple of weeks, basically. Um, and it comes out pretty, um, pretty crystalline. Um, I haven't, I've been very lucky, like through productions, I haven't really made a lot of, a lot of major revisions, but I do kind of love it when someone suggests something or, you know, if an actor is kind of like struggling with a particular part, but something isn't quite, you know, uh, and I can just see very clearly oh it's because i need to like stick this in there right or we just need to turn this knob or we need to push that button and, you know and that's um that's how it's really satisfying it makes me um i don't know it makes me very happy that i don't have to just write like that let i'm not like writing books you know <laughs> yeah. i mean not to not people who write books i'm sorry i am no, no. not not trying to knock anybody but like it makes me um happy that the play really is just a blueprint for everybody else to like build the thing right like I'm, I'm like oh oh right this is good and if you know and if I notice like oh you know of course we need a door here right like <laughs> um and then I can go then go back to the drawings you know and and stick a door in there and, and then it works you know the, the, the space works more efficiently where you know um yeah I love that stuff like that that's actually fun to me when people sort of bring ideas and you know again I feel like I'm cheating a little bit right Ooh. well no you're not cheating I, yeah I hear our writers say well 
if you work with a great, great, um, I think Rajiv Joseph said this about about Bengal Tiger, like he feel like the actors were almost too good, and it was making him. He needed, to, you know, it made, it made the writing too easy. Like it's like I, I don't know if that plays as good as I, as good as I thought. Those actors are just so good. I need to I need to work on the right, you know. So it's not it's not cheating. You're just working with good people, right? Yeah. <laughs> Um, in terms of this show, was there anything that maybe the creative team or, or one of the actors brought to the table that like you hadn't expected, but you were like, oh, that's great. Like anything that excited you? Yeah, um, there were a couple of, <laughs> there were a couple of things. Um, okay, there's this one tiny thing that just cracks me up and I have to share it because, <laughs> okay. So this, this one actor was like, was saying this line and it was broken up, right? It was like, uh, he was saying it like, you know, blah, 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 period. And then blah, 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 period. And I was like, that just sounds weird. That sounds weird. It just, and he kept saying it like with that emphasis, right? Like he was really like trying to communicate like this, this is, this is how it, so I asked, I said, oh man, is that, did I write, is that how it is in the script? Because I really didn't know. I, I forgot how I punctuated it. And he literally jumped. He was like, yes, yes, that is how it is written in the script. And I was like, oh, well, it should be a comma, right? And it's such a tiny little thing. It should be a comma, not a period, because I love if you, you know, strung those two thoughts together and the, like, the look on his face of like relief, like, thank you for hearing it finally, right? It just like, <laughs> It just cracked me up and I just I respected him so much in that moment because I was like here's this guy who's clearly trying to do his job the best way he can right mm -hmm. and also trying to respect me enough to not tell me how to do my job right <laughs> um and I just thought that was such a, a cool exercise of diplomacy but like that's like a tiny thing as far as like a big like um we had uh Oh, can I talk about it without giving anything away? Yeah, okay, so Jeff, um, his dog is missing. Um, his dog has run off. And there's a scene in which someone suggested like, can we have just a dog barking in the distance um, at the top of this scene so that he can go out to the patio and like look look around for the dog and I was like yeah we can <laughs> and I actually wrote that into the script because um I mean if you see the play or if you read the play like it you'll you'll understand like why why that was such a cool suggestion um is it just it really keeps the dog alive um in in the play that uh I, I was like a little bit like why didn't I think of that like why why did I think of that um what else oh Earlier on in the process, one, um, an actor who actually isn't in um, this production, but she was in the um, Ali All New reading, um, we improvised a scene. <laughs> There's a scene, am I gonna give anything? See, I'm always, it's so hard <laughs> to talk about this play without like, you know, giving things away. But um, there is a scene, in, I'm just gonna say that, um, during the improv scene, um, there there are a couple of lines that I lifted right from. I was like, "That's brilliant! I'm gonna take that and run <laughs> with it." Um, 
yeah actors are brilliant man they're the ones who are like up there sitting in the characters right going through like their whole emotional arc so they would know they would know like what what's missing or what feels you know maybe not quite authentic or not quite uh consistent with the character right they're the ones who know yeah. they're um emotionally very intelligent creatures actors that's so great <laughs> and that's so interesting uh, another thing that I love about this script, I was laughing as I was reading um, the parentheticals, um, you know, like oh, the stage directions, but also, <laughs> but also like the little, little offhand mentions of like, he says, you know, what the heck, as if to give him the finger or as if to, you know, call him a name or like, and like, it's just so funny the way that you like add in these little parenthetical thoughts that might be running through the character's mind. I was just curious, like, how did that come to you? Was that something you've always done or was it a, a new thing that kind of came with this play? Yeah, I try to keep my stage directions as interesting as possible because I know <laughs> particularly people who read plays are just like dialogue, 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 right? Like what, that's the important part. Like that's the meat and, and you know, the, <laughs> the stage directions or whatever. Like it doesn't really, <laughs> doesn't really matter. But me, I'm not, if I'm including a stage direction, right, um, is because it's important or like it's integral to like the, the movement of the play, it's integral to the plot. Um, I'm not telling you to go stage right or stage left and whatever, like that's not, that's not my job. That's not my jam. I don't even like that, right? I'm not mm -hmm. describing, you know, what books are on the shelves in their house unless, somebody comes in grabs one of those books and whacks somebody across the face with it right like that I'm not I'm not interested in in, in setting that stage necessarily right so if I include a stage direction like I want it to be um, I want people to pay attention to it and I understand that there are <laughs> I was made to understand that there are <laughs> entire schools um cranking out directors who think it's totally okay to completely disregard stage directions <laughs> to in fact cross out stage directions and I was just like what <laughs> okay <laughs> so yeah I'm gonna make my stage directions as interesting as possible because I want you to pay attention to those things right I really I want you to um be just uh, pay just as much attention to those as you do the dialogue or see them as just as important. Yeah, it seems like in some of those years, you're sort of naming the subtext a little bit of what, what what's under the lines, right? And what they're not saying. Yeah, um, yeah. Which, that can go very wrong if you don't. <laughs> you yeah, know? yeah. If, right. if somebody doesn't know that like, actually that line is sarcastic, right? Like <laughs> that, that's, that scene can play very differently, right? And the play could mm -hmm. just come out totally wrong. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I just read an interview with Chris Walken where he said uh, he likes to take out all the punctuation, which might account for his line readings, you know, I mean. <laughs> mm -hmm. <laughs> um, I wanted to just ask you, uh, you know, it's been a rough two years for, for the country, for everyone, for and for theater. And, you know, part of that was not just the pandemic, but the racial reckoning that happened after George Floyd. And the We See You White American Theater um, uh, document and demands that came out. And I wondered, obviously, the Alley programmed this long before. I mean, there was 
not long before there was racism, but long before that reckoning made a lot of theaters reach out and go, oh, we're going to program a black play, we're going to program, you know, we need to, we need to represent. And um, I wondered if you had thoughts about, you alluded earlier to the, the theater field being a, and the arts being a, a relatively safe space with a lot of diverse people, but obviously there's still a lot of harm goes on. It's still part of the larger culture. It reflects a lot of the pathologies and, and, and in some cases it makes them worse. I wonder if you could talk about, do you feel hopeful that we're, that industries in the, moving in the right direction after this two years of you know trauma and reckoning and all that i want to i mm. want to it's so <laughs> hard though um i so i have personally um decided that i don't necessarily um need to work with those theater companies, with those organizations that treat Black artists as an afterthought or as a trend or as, a, you know, I'm just, I'm like, mm. <laughs> yeah, no, I've been sending you, I sent you scripts for years, right? And I, I, I got no response. And now all of a sudden everybody remembers that they know a Black playwright. Oh, that she's a girl. Yeah, let's, let's like do one of hers. We've got somewhere. And I'm yeah. like, yeah, no, that's not that's not gonna fly with me. So the fact that Allie actually did choose um, American before, you know, the the big racial reckoning that has happened, right? Um, I think speaks volumes to, you know, who they are as a company. Um, there are a couple of other companies that I I feel. <laughs> But ones that are under new management yes, <laughs> right yes, now also that um i'm like okay let's see let's let's see right um where i'm just sort of like i'm just gonna watch y'all and see what happens um i also uh recently found out that a play that i presented with a theater company that i love um I'm actually on the board of the company, um, King Company, that I was actually the first Black playwright in their 20-something year history <laughs> that they produced. And I did not know that because relatively new management, right? And I had never even heard of King Company. And I probably should have looked at their, <laughs> at their production history, but right. also, but but also I think if I did, I probably would have, I probably would have balked and I would have missed out, you know, um, because it really, they really are a lovely company and they're really trying, I mean, earnestly trying to make diversity and inclusion, like to be active about it. Right. Um, and, and it's not the black, the black people, the black artists are not the canaries in the coal mine. I feel like that's what hap what's happening with Broadway right now, unfortunately. Oh my God, that piece in the New York Times was infuriating. I'm like, why do we need this? Like, why do we need, why do we need somebody being like, and see all those black Broadway plays? Like they didn't, they didn't do shit. Like they didn't bring in any money. So, right. It's, I feel like that's just the prelude to revert reverting right right <laughs> to just like right. going back to you know what worked i'm like we're in a damn pandemic like how fair is it ah 
okay. I have opinions. I can't voice them all. <laughs> we, don't have, voice we don't have enough time. But it really does. <laughs> it, it, it upsets me, right? That I, I just feel like Black artists, particularly the ones who are, you know, experiencing their, a lot of them, their first Broadway productions, you know, their, their first major productions right now under the worst imaginable circumstances. And ah, <laughs> it just, it feels like they're being set up to fail. And I hate that. Yeah, no, I know. Uh, it's, it's been a remarkable how many, how many uh, plays by black writers are on Broadway um, compared to the past decade, you know, it's like, it's more in one season than they've done in 10 years, right? Uh, by black playwrights specifically. Um, and it's true. I mean, one thing we, I look forward to on Broadway when they were talking about reopening was, well, the stakes are gonna be lower because of the pandemic and there won't be as many tourists. And so we can do really interesting programming. That's one glass half full way to look at it. Like it could be more interesting, but also it could be more risky and hence the people taking the risks and being put out there on the front lines. You know, it's a, it's a theme. It's a, it's a recurring theme. Um, I'm hopeful that it's outside Broadway also, though, like at the alley you talked about, um, other theaters maybe remain nameless, but that we're going to see and, and hope for. And, and Keen, obviously, you named that one, too. Yeah. Um, yeah, smaller theaters, regional theaters, um, I feel like are probably doing a better job <laughs> than like New York theaters, unfortunately. Um, or at least that they've got the the resources in place or the the, the systems in place, you know. Um, yeah, a lot of re a lot of regional theaters I'm discovering um, have the have the benefit of of being perhaps like the only big <laughs> cultural thing in town, right? Or like the um, one of maybe three theaters in the entire city, right? Um, so I feel like they're going to be, it's different from all the, the many, 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 many theaters in New York City that are all jockeying for attention and for ticket sales and for, you know, um, so it's a little, um, they're not, they're not, the regional theaters, the work that they do is not met with as much quite as much cynicism, I feel like, or... Um, Presumably, there's not a nonprofit mission that the reason that they're tax exempt is that they're, they have a community mission, you know, presumably. I mean, and some theaters, I think, I, I, that's our base. That's, that's the people that we, we write about and that support us. So I could say they've taken it, that mission seriously with varying, you know, varying degrees of seriousness, but I think that that, that is the mission of the nonprofit theater field is to reflect, to look like America, to reflect America yeah. and tell the truth, you know? So um, I, we're pretty much at time, but I, I wanted to just finally ask you like, what's next for you in any medium? Like what, this, does this play have a future that you're looking at? Are there, are there, are there, are there, are there films, films so. that you look at, you know? <laughs> I hope so. Yeah. Um, yeah. I've been, been, we've been strategizing, um, trying to see, you know, where where it might go next. So there's that. Hopefully, you'll see it somewhere else sometime soon. Um, and that's about as specific as I can get about that. Um, 
I've got another world premiere happening at uh, Contemporary American Theater Fest in Shepherdstown, West Virginia um, this summer, which I'm really excited about. It's called Whitelisted. It's a revenge horror play about a gentrifying woman <laughs> um, who, you know, is in her newly renovated Bedsty Brownstone and like weird supernatural shit starts happening and she just doesn't know why. <laughs> So that's happening. That sounds exciting. <laughs> that's going to be nuts because there's a lot of like technical stuff happening in that. It's a revenge horror play. Furniture flies all over the you know, props melt. It's going to be it's going to be a good time. Um, and then uh, let's see, TV stuff. Um, we're in production for Three Women, um, which is going to air on Showtime. I don't even know when. I wish I did, but. <laughs> Um, yeah, that was actually my first TV writing room that I got to participate in because of, courtesy of the pandemic, <laughs> because wow. otherwise I don't think that would have happened. Okay, um, cool. So it's based on the book by Lisa Tadeo, um, who is a marvelously empathetic woman who, you know, did research on this book for like eight years. She followed people around. She lived amongst people, I mean, all over the country, like following these people around, interviewing them and observing their lives and um, put together this book about dun, 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 three women <laughs> that is super interesting. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I look forward to that one too. Yeah, I'm just looking up on what we talk about it, yeah. She said, it's been such a pleasure to have you. Yeah, um, thank I hope you we get so to, much. I hope we get to see this play uh, in New York or wherever, wherever you are, listeners, look for American. If you're in Houston, obviously, go, go, go check it out through March 13th at the Alley. And then it's also going to be online available, a, a, a video, basically, a film version of it will be available for a couple weeks uh, through yeah, the Alley. Yeah, I want to say that starts, I want to say March 8th. Okay, before it's over. Okay, so... So check that out. Um, obviously, support TCG uh, and our efforts to keep keep conversations like this and our journalism going. We'd like to want to thank Anne Charlone, our producer, and Ali. It's great to have you on board for your first podcast. I think it went great. And Chisa, again, total pleasure. We'll see Likewise, you around. Thank you so much for inviting me to do this. Very cool. <laughs>